Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have my friend, Becky Gardner, who is joining me. She is what I like to refer to as an executive function goddess. Like, you know, so much about executive function and how it impacts. I know you have been elevated (laughs) that status because, you know, it's such... If, if you haven't listened to some of the previous podcasts that we've recorded with Becky, we have covered so much information on executive function and how that impacts our loved ones with autism, our neurodiverse population, but also just your standard teenager. I'm finding that a lot of quote unquote neurotypical teens and young people struggle with executive function. So Becky, just to start our podcast in the event, someone has not happened to catch one of our previously recorded podcasts. Can you just give an explanation of executive function so that people have a framework for understanding how, what executive function is, the areas that you can see deficits. And then we will push into our topic today, which will be on motivation and pushing past resistance. But just give us kind of that, I call it the crayon version of what executive function is and, and ways and what parents might be seeing that would be hints that their children struggle with executive function. Executive functioning is really a a man-made construct where it allows us to think about brain function in terms of there are higher level brain functions and lower level brain functions. Lower level are more automatic. We don't think about. And executive functions are a complex, higher level thought process that allow people to accomplish tasks throughout their day. And so it varies. The model that I look at has 12 executive functions in it. You can, if you Google it or whatever, you can find multiple models um, and some break them into bigger chunks than others, but they are all essentially have the same set of skills included. And that's things like um, managing emotion, self-regulation, being able to plan and organize. Um, It's all of the like subtasks that a person does in order to get through their day and be successful with whatever it is that they want to do. I think that's a really good description. In my world, when I'm doing like training with first responders and teachers, I just talk a lot about, so when we think about autism and how one qualifies for an autism diagnosis, you, know, you have a deficit in communication, you have deficits in social, you know, social interaction impairments, and then the presence of obsessive, restrictive, and repetitive behaviors. But when you dial down to ASD level one, which is our high functioning individuals, uh, they still require support. One of the DSM classifications in that description of what ASD level one 
looks like is planning an organization will hamper their ability to live independently. And so that's executive function. Um, that's yeah. the planning organization and execution of daily living activities and tasks that ha- allow them to live independently and do things as independently as possible. And so I think that, yeah. you know, um, so how it, it manifests so it is an element, you know, executive function is an element of an ASD diagnosis. We would expect to have, challenges with planning organization and execution of daily daily living tasks and they need support and we have talked in previous podcasts about scaffolding to help you know be supportive and then strategically remove some of the scaffolding so that they can then have independence and grow on those skills so today we wanted to do a podcast that's dedicated to motivation and pushing past resistance and pushing past resistance has been the bane of my existence becky you've had the pleasure (laughs) three boys and um, my daughter, yes, my, my daughter has an element of, of resistance and, and lacks motivation to get things done, as we all do. I'm the first to admit I do lack motivation at times, uh, but I see the lack of motivation and the ability to push past, past resistance and get things done um, affect my boys more so than my daughter. Now, again, my daughter is still, you know, she's only 11 years old. So I'm sure as we get to the teenagers, um, some of those challenges become bigger obstacles as you get older, because the expectation to be more independent becomes more of an expectation. So I want to just kind of talk about, you know, if, first of all, maybe we should just start by just when we have kids that are lacking motivation, could you just give us maybe an explanation as to why that tends to be very consistent among all individuals that really struggle with different elements of executive function? Because motivation is is a real, I mean, I suppose there are those that have executive function challenges that don't struggle with motivation, but it's not just that I don't care. It's more than that. So maybe you could go into detail about what that looks like. Yeah, that's um, really goes into so many different areas. Of course, you know, as we know, everyone with uh, ASD has got their own story, their own way of presenting their own um, differences, which is the same as the rest of us. And it, it's important to point out that executive functioning is someone that every human on the planet has. And we all have executive functioning strengths and we all have executive functioning weaknesses. So having a diagnosis doesn't mean that you have executive dysfunction or executive functioning weakness that is so different. It's, it's actually not, they, it just can be more pronounced in its appearance and the way that it affects an individual. But again, that's diagnosis or not. We all have executive functioning things. You and I have talked about our own personal executive function and weaknesses as we've podcasted on the topic of executive function. So, um, you know, I am hyper organized because that's how I compensate for some of my working memory deficits. I don't have a very good working memory. So I have to be hyper organized when it comes to, and that's as a coping strategy for me that's worked throughout my life. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so the cool thing about coaching, like what you do is, is that you then look at the individual because we're all individual and unique and wonderful. And so you look at each individual, you identify their strengths, 
And then you look at areas where they may not be as strong. And then you use those strengths to help compensate and help them build stronger skills in those areas that might be more weak, which is fantastic. So absolutely, absolutely correct. And I think it's interesting to talk about a lack of motivation. That is certainly something that plagues all of us at different points in our life. Uh, Lacking, I, I, the terminology itself, I get a little, I don't know, both confused and frustrated by, because I think it means different things in different situations. And we, we can get really deep into the whole motivation thing. And I think that we may need to, to kind of um, sort this out. Well, let's, um, let's do it. Go deep. Let's, let's, start do it. let's do it. Okay. Okay. So um, motivation uh, in and of itself has been researched for quite some time, right? The person credited with the dichotomy of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is Edward DC. And um, he wrote a book with, um, I can't remember his first name, Ryan, uh, came out in 1985, first based on uh, uh, research that was done in the 70s and 80s. And it is really the, the place where intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation Um, was first credited. So, and I certainly am not an expert, so (laughs) please um, Google it and uh, learn more as interested and don't just take my word for it. But this is... And if there's a specific work, a book, um, we'll put put that information in the the show notes. So anybody that wants to maybe look at that. So I'll have you email us that uh, information. So that way people can find it. If they want to get more information and dive deeper into it, we'll put that in the show notes. Sure. Great. Great. Perfect. So the way that uh, it makes sense in my mind, and again, I'm not an expert, but basically um, extrinsic motivation is um, motivators that come from outside the person. So it is, um, and those of course are positive and negative um, reinforcers, right? So, and this is not something that's new or different or unusual in the world of autism, certainly. ABA and behavioral um, theory is based on motivation theory and specifically extrinsic motivation. So if you are trying to help a student become more motivated to I don't know, do their homework. You could offer a reward, obviously a positive reinforcer for encouraging that motivation. So they do their homework, they get their reward um, that can make them more motivated. Obviously, negative reinforcers are something that they don't want to experience, not done as much anymore. But that goes back to the old parenting technique of, you know, if you don't, you'll be grounded kind of a thing. (laughs) That's extrinsic motivation. It comes from outside the person. Oftentimes there is someone that is providing that extrinsic motivation. Uh, It's not the person providing it for themselves. And it gets more complicated and there are some gray areas on the edges, but basically that's my understanding. And so then intrinsic motivation on the other hand is when we do things because we enjoy it, we just like it. It makes us happy. It's we lose time. Interesting. Yeah. You totally lose track of time because you love doing it so much. Right. 
Right, right. Exactly. Um, we're in our happy place. Those are basically in motivation theory, the reason that people do things that they're they're being rewarded or punished for doing or not doing or they are interested by nature. They love it. And so they do it. So if we look at that, there's extrinsic motivation obviously needs someone to do the thing with them and do a little pushing maybe outside of their comfort zone or whatever it is. Um, It's hard to say why a person has resistance and we can get into some of that after this motivation piece, but it requires someone outside doing the thing and and creating the, the rewards and making sure that they're sufficiently rewarding and setting up a structure and uh, possibly a scaffold to get to one piece and then the next and then the next. That becomes problematic in that life isn't always set up that way. You know, you may have a really solid program that gets a student doing the things that they need to do for school with their extrinsic rewards, but then they graduate and go on to a job and the that system is not set up and that's what the student knows and has used. It can become problematic. There is quite a body of research that shows that extrinsic rewards don't work in the long term, that they can be highly effective for short term change. But unless the motivation switches to more of an intrinsic, then it the progress goes away or goes backwards or, you know, it's it's specific. It's very specific to the exact same, the exact thing that is being worked on and the exact situation. The transference doesn't always happen. So extrinsic uh, motivation is just sort of fraught with a lot of issues that are hard to overcome and only gets a student so far. So I agree because the basis of my life, my existence has been with my son, who has high functioning autism is, is that we have always used extrinsic uh, motivation, meaning it's always a reward. And now, of course, we're in middle school. And of course, those rewards want need, you know, are it, it was easy when you were little. It's a, it's a graham cracker or a cookie. You know what I mean? Now it's, yeah. it's much more challenging. And yet it's we've identified the fact that we need to start figuring out a way to dial into the intrinsic motivation. But how yeah. use the other, you know, where it's a, re, a physical reward system. How do you transition to find the intrinsic motivation and it's so hard so yeah. I, hopefully you've got some yeah. for me because i'm struggling <laughs> becky i'm struggling well that's a great question and like you say it's the rewards to have the same effect have to become bigger and stronger and um you know there just is a time where there's not a big enough thing and so yes moving to intrinsic as um I think the 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 best way to help students or to start with intrinsic if at all possible, but you know they are not always necessarily motivated to whatever it is, clean their room, whatever. That's on the list of things that we are working on currently today. That exactly, it's like my life. (laughs) Well, I have been there, um, so I I do. 
I do understand some of it. Tapping into intrinsic is more exactly that. It's more of a tapping in. It's not, um, we can't make them. It's just not going to happen. We can try, but honestly, intrinsic by definition has to come from within. So the best way to find, and that's what you're going to do is find it, um, not create it, (laughs) is to tap into things that your child, these students are interested in, in the first place. So that's why with autistic students, a lot of them come wired with something they are so excited about. Not all of them, for sure. Many do not. And they have to find their intrinsic motivation. And that takes a lot of searching. But if you are lucky enough to be working with a child that comes wired with intrinsic interests, you are halfway there. So it is more about helping the child explore every inch of that interest to find out where there might be some overlap that then the child themselves becomes interested in whatever it is you're hoping they're going to do. And again, you can't force it. Even if you start pushing in that direction, they will feel the extrinsic push Mm -hmm. and your window will close. So it really, it is about helping them discover how it is that things are interesting to them. And in that way, you may be able to do some collaborative problem solving or some questioning of them to get them thinking about, well, if I really, really want to become an engineer on a train or, you know, a zoologist or a, you know, whatever the thing is, then there are some pieces to this puzzle that I might be actually interested in working on that I didn't realize I was interested in working in because it's going to help me get to the thing that I really want. But again, it's intrinsic. So you can't tell them, you can't push it. You have to help them discover it or you're not, you're not going to get there. So 100%. Okay. So Becky, I love where we're going with this because I am a, I do love interest-based learning. And one of the things that you're talking about is one of my sneaky little things that I stumbled upon a little while ago was, you know, I can get Caleb to engage in learning if we can put the subject matter around something that he is highly motivated or interested in. And yes, the reality of it is, is that Caleb's entire world revolves around this little guy right here. This is Sticks, and he's sitting in my chair at the moment because Caleb is in school right now. And so Sticks is his whole world. So if we can build, and I've told all of his teachers this, if you need him to do an assignment, if you could build, you know, Sticks somehow in the project, I guarantee you his intrinsic motivation is going to increase significantly because he loves this dog so much. And so we've done that a lot, just even in, I mean, math, you know, all sorts of things, you know, about math, we've done it. He can sneak sticks onto into his PowerPoint when he is having to do a PowerPoint, even if it's just like on historical, 
things. He can sneak sticks into some of those PowerPoint things. And his teachers have been very, they really love using intrinsic motivation to be, have him more inclined to do these. And it's amusing too, because how he gets creative to make sure this is properly represented is quite entertaining. It's almost like the where's Waldo sort of um, thing. (laughs) So it can become very funny. You know, we're even looking long-term, you know, okay, well, we have to be thinking right. about transition from high school. So what type of yes. job skills is he highly interested in? Well, anything that revolves around animals would be something that he would completely lose track of time and want to participate doing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at some of those natural interests to start doing mm-hmm. that discovery in terms of what, what do you want to do when you're done with school? So what do we need to look at after school, after high school, that's going to help you get to a place where you can have that occupation. And so, you know, exactly. he will say, I never want to go to college. I hate school. But on the other hand, if you want to be a vet tech, then you're going to have to do outside, you know, there's going to be additional education that you need. And so finding those motivators that are from within is so powerful. Again, exactly right. what you say, Becky, is, is that they have to find it. You can't push it because yeah. anytime he gets wind of the fact that I'm being sneaky, then it's like all immediately like done. And now we have resistance and it's pushed back. It, it's not right. Right. Because they become aware on um, whatever level that it's no longer intrinsic, that it is actually extrinsic. So then it's a push. And so then, yeah, no longer interested. So and I don't know that that's sneaky, really, to help a student learn by intrinsic motivation. I mean, I just think that that's really good support for the student and helping them to use all of the things that they, that are strengths. And so I don't know that it's sneaky, honestly. I mean, if you were to ask Caleb, you know, would you rather do this with or without sticks? Uh, you know, it's, he's, he's not going to be upset that you're helping teachers become aware of something that's going to help them learn. Yeah. I'm sure he would be all about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's so true. And now he, he's really wrapping his head around the fact that he knows that he can become more motivated to get an assignment completed if it's around a natural interest. And so he helping him to identify the fact that natural interest, just everything awesome. Right. 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 And that is huge. That is actually very huge because that piece of this is what's amazing about you and how you learn and how you operate best. And this is going to help you become your strongest, best self is the ultimate way to teach anyone how to operate in the world as they get older. So that is absolutely the best of the best to help them become aware of this is really something that can help you move forward in life. And there may become a time where I'm not around and you need to do something and you are struggling with it. And here's a key to solving this mystery. Here's something that you know, works for you. So go for it. You know how this is something that can help you in the future. It goes right into the um, self-determination theory of motivation. If you have control of your own path, 
you are suddenly much more motivated to follow that plan or that path because it's it's yours and you own it and um it's what you truly to your core want so you are going to be quote unquote motivated to do it it's just something that you you want to do and you you have a desire for so that's that's exactly where we want to be yeah i'll tell you my little um motivation thing i don't know i think becky you know this and i've maybe mentioned it on a podcast in the past but one of my strategies for not engaging in as much social media is I started crocheting because I was noticing that I would get on social media and I would just be scrolling because I was just bored, you know, like had a few minutes, whatever. So I started crocheting because it kept my hands busy. And so I wasn't getting on social media and I was scrolling. And here's the thing. I found out that I actually liked it. So now my motivation to myself is I have to get a lot of things in my life done, like dishes, laundry. Currently right now we're getting ready to work on a, um, a nine day trip with six children. It's going to be super awesome. So I'm in the midst of getting ready to that. And I use crocheting at the end of my day as my motivation to get all of those things done because there you go. I can't, I have to get all of these things I don't want to get done so that I then have time and yep. the time that I can sit down and I can just crochet and like just ding, go ding, ding. there it is. Yes. That's and so, exactly it. And yep. it works, but I have to be very disciplined to not crochet before I get all of those things that are not as exciting for me to get done. But I have to tell you, it's like, as I'm checking off these undesirable tasks on my list, I'm like, yes, I'm just that much closer to being able to sit down and crochet for the rest of the night. And it is hugely rewarding and it's motivating because that's what I would rather be doing. So, right. and-, and so if you could, um, to, to take that just a step further, if you could build build crocheting into some of those dreaded tasks, think how much better those would be too. So it's not just necessarily at the end, but it is weaving it into crocheting it into, see what I did there. Um, (laughs) That uh, there are multiple ways to use interest in quote unquote motivating students. So now here's one, one question for you. So, uh, my husband's son, Cooper is a young man. He's actually going to be celebrating his 18th birthday here. Not too long, but he's significantly impacted by autism. So his communication skills are, are not good. I would say about 80% of his communication is, um, just echolalia. He just parrots back. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we, when we worked with his ABA providers was, you know, what are things that motivate Cooper? naturally. And it was so hard because really I don't see, you know, there's nothing that he loses time doing other than of course, maybe dismantling and, you know, taking apart and throwing away things that probably shouldn't go in the garbage or be dismantled or unpackaged. Um, And so what do you do when you have a unique case where it's very difficult to find something, especially because Cooper doesn't have the language to tell us what his natural interests are. How do you discover, how do you do a discovery on that? Yeah, great question. And I, I will tell you, I, I don't have all the answers, but what I would, where I would go with that would be just the most amount of exposure possible to the most amount of things 
that could be tried. A lot of times um, a student will fall into something that they're very comfortable doing and stick with it because, you know, it checks all the boxes in with the sensory needs and the the self-comforting and the um, so that's a thing and then they'll stay with it. And then that can be seen as their only interest and then it can be overused and then pretty soon it's no longer interesting well, because like um, what you said as soon as they get it he gets a sniff of the fact that like he showed an interest in something and then we're using it as like you know like something to make other things more then and he immediately shuts down and it's like nope never mind not interested and you're just like bummer yeah I mean, so it's yeah, so yeah, cute. because it turned into an extrinsic thing instead of an intrinsic thing. Yeah. Um, so the more things that are tried and the more exposure there is, then the more that they may discover that there are other things out there. And that's the same with students that that are children that don't have that spark that a lot of um, children are wired with. It's just as much exposure as they can tolerate into any different realm. It's gonna be very child specific as to what the options are, but the more things they're exposed to, especially if they're younger, then you can maybe find an area of interest and then look at all the different things within an area as they get older. But um, that would be what I would try with Cooper if I was working with him directly is identifying you know, other, just, just go through the systems, other, other movement, other sensory things, other activities. There are things that he's participated in maybe more on the periphery that the family has done, maybe a little deeper involvement. It generally children, students, young adults are more interested in things that are, they're familiar with, at least to some degree. Um, And so that's, that's where I would go next if I was working with them. Yeah. And we have done things where I take some of his undesirable behaviors, like for instance, you know, um, breaking glass and plates and those sorts of things. Um, and we've turned, it's like, Oh, well, you like to break that. So maybe if we take some of these pieces and we can start getting him to use it in a mosaic, you know, so I got some, you mm-hmm. know, put the different pieces and again, yeah, like yeah. for a little while, but as soon as, you know, um, it's then introduced a third time. The second time it's like, he's all over it. And then the third time, then it's like, oh, I see what you're doing here. And I'm not gonna, (laughs) so it's like, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Oh, Cooper, you're looking for something to do. Here's like three things that, you know, are your options. And it's like, when he sees it pop up the third time, it's like, oh, I see, I see here. This is, you know, this is something Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to do all the time. So we do give him choices because he definitely likes choices, even though he has limited language. Um, but we are time to say the one thing that is always a, a guaranteed is, is that he loves to go for walks. I mean, he walks probably five miles a day. And so wow. 
You know, it's just too bad there's not like a Lewis and Clark uh, expedition that anybody needs someone rocking across country because he would be phenomenal for that because he also does not like going out and back because he's already seen it. He wants to do a loop. So it's all new terrain full time, which is a little Uh bit challenging. Yeah. So he's, he's kind of a, he's a cool cat in that uh, he's so smart and it's like he, he gets onto you real quick. You know, he may not have a lot of language, but he, he knows you're trying to find something that he is intrinsically interested in so that we could use it as a even defined a a vocation that we feel like would be something he would lose time and enjoy doing it's a lot of what we introduce to him is to see whether or not it's something that we could build a vocation around because he's very capable so you know my next my next uh little exploration when I get back from our vacation is I have an old engine out of a small like yard machine that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. He is so fascinated by engines. And every time my husband's working on um, an engine or something on a car or whatever, he's just right there watching every single thing. So I was kind of actually thinking about taking it apart and just giving him because there's can't hurt it. Doesn't work. It seized up, but let him have some tools and just be like, take it apart, knock yourself out, explore absolutely, and just see whether or not that like that actually is interesting to him because again, he's never, he always yeah. wants, but he's never been handed tools and be like, here you go. My only concern is then he's going to be taking apart the Jeep and the Dodge Ram pickup truck. <laughs> I mean, but you never know. It could turn into a vocation. That would be very interesting to have him maybe take it apart by hand and see how far he could get and then hand him tools as, you know, I would maybe in two parts and maybe tools become and interested maybe you know and then there's lots of tools anyway, oh yes that's i think that's a fantastic idea that's very cool yeah we're trying so if you have a child that everything all the motivation is extrinsic a motivation is is there any hope to i mean is there an end in sight where you can it's not a lost cause it's going to be a challenge what i'm hearing you say is it's going to be challenging because once you have a an individual that's extrinsically motivated by tangible things and rewards, I'm hearing that there's a chance that you can do a successful transition so that there's more intrinsic motivation, that they're wanting to do things in order to just get the value of the activity. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I definitely, there may be some resistance at first because they like getting the jelly bean or the five minutes of whatever time or, you know, whatever it is. But again, I think if children or young adults recognize when they have control and some power and um, they are allowed to express who they are. So again, it can't be engineered necessarily to be what you want or what you think they should do or but it is it's really important to start taking that back seat at times and let them express who they are and what they want and what they want to do and the more they have that opportunity the more they're going to value it and 
appreciate it. And they're going to be their own selves, despite what we as parents think ought to be. They will assert themselves one way or another. And I have to say the first time, and I think I've told you this before, the first time I watched my mentor do collaborative problem solving with my son It was terrifying to me because collaborative problem solving is all about helping students brainstorm their own solutions and that they're going to come up with things that are of interest and intrinsically motivating to them. And so you can get some clues by doing that process also. But she then followed his lead. She, you know, she has nothing to gain. She's not the parent. She's not emotionally involved and was able to follow his lead down a path that I thought was just the single worst idea I had ever heard in my life for him. And that is the beauty of an outside person doing collaborative problem solving because students are on to us. Our children are smart. They know what pushes our buttons. They know what we want. And sometimes they're going to be pleasers and they're going to say what we want. And it's never going to work because they're just saying what we want. Um, And sometimes they're going to push buttons and they're going to do things just to spite us because they didn't like that we didn't give them ice cream last night. So it's very hard for a parent to do that sort of collaborative problem solving process in a lot of times to find that intrinsic motivation because there is that emotional tie and they do know what you are looking for. If parents are able to, and I understand I am asking one of the single hardest things that they will ever face in their lives is to step back and follow because it's terrifying because you want your child to succeed. You want them to be safe. You want them to make good decisions. And yet without that stepping back and allowing that autonomy, they're not going to find the intrinsic motivation. It's, it's always going to be extrinsic. They're always going to be looking to do the thing for you until they resent you. And then you, they push you out of their lives. I mean, (laughs) that's really stark and bleak but um and it's often not that black and white but there will be a time as a a child ages that they will start to resent you for trying to mold them into whatever it is that you think they should be because they are their own person and it's terrifying i totally appreciate that a hundred percent. It's very um, hard to let go. I will tell you one of the things I've found that's interesting with my two neurotypical teens, uh, one just turned 18 in January, one just turned 17 in March. But an interesting point for them is, is that what's, ex- what's intrinsically motivating for them right now is being independent, which is interesting because think about that. Yeah. They're intrinsically motivated by being independent and being able to be in, you know, like their own person. And the hard part about this that's really challenging is is that they don't know how to be, they want independence and they're super motivated to have that, but they don't have the executive functioning skills to be successful. So super motivated for it, but don't really have the skills to have that independence because there's just so many factors that are required to independence. 
So that's been one area where it's like, you know, I'm happy to stem back and, and, you know, allow them to discover and figure it out. But it's really difficult for me because I don't know how to support them in their desire to be independent when they're really flailing and yet don't want my help either. Because again, that's part of being independent is they don't want my help. Yeah. 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 I have to imagine you probably experienced that quite a lot as a coach. Yeah. That's it. It's it's exactly what you say. You've got to step back and allow them the space and the time to fail. And it's not going to always feel good. I wish actually sometimes, well, all the time, I wish we were more accepting of our own and others' failures. And there may be a time given that that space that, oh, I tried three different things and none of them worked. Maybe it is actually time to ask mom if she has any good ideas. And, you know, that that space can allow them to come back around. And, you know, you can they're not always going to accept but You can always continue to throw out there. Well, you know, I have been through life and I have done some of these things. And a lot of times that didn't work for me either. And if you ever want to, you know, brainstorm or talk about or, you know, just continuing to offer support, um, it's going to you're going to hear a lot of no's and that's fine. That's great. That's what they need to do. But knowing that you are a resource and an advocate is really what they need at that point. So I'm just sitting back and being patient and waiting for them to ask me for suggestions, which, you know, as a parent, that is very hard, especially when you can see, you see the train wreck in a short distance away and it's like, oh boy. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as it's a a manageable train wreck and they're not going to be too seriously injured, man, they are going to learn that lesson so well, (laughs) but man, it's hard to sit back and wait for it. Oh, I know. Especially, Mm. you know, like some Caleb did ask me the other day, he says, mom, are you psychic? Like, how do you know what you know some of the time? And it's like, boy, buddy, I tell you what I, you know, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, which he didn't have any idea what I was talking about. So then I was like, ah, I'm old, Betty. That's really all I can tell you is I'm old. I've seen a lot of things in my life. And he was like, he's satisfied with that answer. Um, falling off the turnip truck, not so much. Um, but you know, yeah, that's okay. What other recommendations can you give us parents that are trying to support their kids in, in finding these intrinsic motivators? A lot of it is that supportive conversation of, I know that you are getting older and you want to be independent and I want to support you in that. I think like we said, that conversation of being there for them and rooting for them, even if it's not the direction that you would want them to go, knowing that you're there in the background for cleanup (laughs) when it comes um, is going to mean a lot. And they may be more willing to um, come to you for discussion. Um, And also knowing that, you know, we talked about procrastination and resistance. Sometimes it's not having the information and sometimes there's an actual real reason that that resistance is there. Um, and it can have to do with 
shame or bullying or, you know, a lot of things that are outside your control that you may or may not be aware of. And so finding, getting to the place where you can have a open conversation with your child about that seems really hard for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're struggling with it. And can you think of a reason? And is there something I can do? Do you want to have a conversation with grandma about it or a therapist or your school counselor or, um, you know, how can I help support you even if I'm not the one actually doing it? And a lot of times your children, young adults just aren't going to know. And sometimes being willing to be transparent and tell them that while you've got it together now and you look like you're really a great functional adult at this point, you weren't always. And being transparent about, man, I really struggled with this or I struggled with something else can be very supportive and create bond of trust. And that's a lot of, of what I think young adults need across the board. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think too, as you're modeling that it shows when you're modeling that type of openness, I think it really teaches them that, that how to be supported, how do they then become supportive to other people, uh, you know, as opposed to becoming the natural fixers. So I think anytime you can model that it's, it's helpful. Well, I'm afraid I have to wrap this up today because as you knew, um, that's conference school conference week. And so I have to go pick up my daughter early today, which meant that we had to work on a very tight deadline, but I just want you to know that I appreciate you taking time. Um, we'll definitely put, uh, contact information to find you. You want to give a quick plug for your, um, coaching business that you have? Uh, Sure. Um, I do individualized coaching with young adults in high school, out of high school, transitioning in any stage of life, and just trying to help sort out what strategies and tools may be helpful and helping them determine how they can move forward is what I do and what I love. Yeah. um, The name of your business, a life of my own. And I love that because That's really the goal for all of our loved ones is we want them to have a life of their own. So we'll put her contact in the show notes so that people can find you if they have questions. And we still have more podcasts that are coming up. So um, be watching for an invite. We're going to do a live at night where you can ask Becky questions on executive function. So we'll keep you posted on that. Yeah. So we have lots of, also, I love the other one that we had talked about doing, which is on accommodations. When it comes to executive function, we need some appropriate accommodations. So we're going to do a podcast Mm -hmm. on that coming up too. So in the meantime... First, I have to survive my vacation with my six children. Um, so when we get back, we will. Be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. The kids are actually all excited. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm throwing up a little in my mouth, but it's going to be fun. I'll make sure that I take lots it of will share. So, all right. With that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. We'll see you next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe and just remember we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.